You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good to see you. If we haven't met, my name is John Ludovina. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome back for week three of our Advent series on joy. Uh, specifically, uh, kids in the room, how we doing? Awesome. Um, I need your help to help me settle a debate. This would be kids or big kids in the room, everyone. Help me settle a debate in the Ludovina household. If you could only keep one of the two for every Christmas for the remainder of your life, you could only keep Christmas cookies, or hot cocoa? In your heads, in your heads, raise of hand if you're keeping cookies. Shay, it's love and joy and not division. Raise your hands if you're keeping cocoa. Okay, all right, okay, cool, cool. It's a tough, it's a tough decision. It's tough to give one up. I get it. I, I don't care about this debate at all. I think it's hilarious how mad those two groups get at the other group. How dare you? You give me my cookies back. Uh, So the past two weeks, we've looked at prophecies from Isaiah 7 and 9 that foretold the hope and the peace that the Messiah would bring when he came. Today, we're going to jump forward to Isaiah 61 to see another messianic prophetic prophecy about what the Messiah would bring when he came. Start in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the Messiah is going to bring good news for, for all kinds of people whose lives are not going well in a lot of different ways, potentially some social injustice stuff going on here. Skip down to verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. If you like to write in your Bible, you may want to circle that or highlight that or underline that. Um, Before we go anywhere with this, I need to make sure you're aware that a major change has happened for God's people. A historical event has happened between Isaiah 7 and 9, and by the time we get to Isaiah 61. Somewhere in that gap around chapter 40, um, see, in Isaiah 7 and 9, God's warning his people. He's giving them warnings because he's a gracious, loving father. He's saying, hey, don't look to the Assyrian Empire. Don't look to the Babylonian Empire to give you hope because long-term, they're going to betray you and they're going to crush you. And Isaiah kind of keeps telling the people, hey, God is your hope. God is your king. God is your peace. You don't need to look to the cultures around you to try to find those things when you already have it, but they don't listen. They choose to go their own way instead of listening to God's gracious warnings. And strangely, in this weird moment, turns out God was right. And they were wrong. That was just a little sarcastic joke. That's what always happens. And 
when they thought their lives would go better on their own, they thought when they looked at the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires, they saw power, they saw riches, they saw a path to joy. It turns out they were wrong, God was right, and it goes terribly. The Assyrian empire and the Babylonian empire do betray them. They do crush them. And at this point, by the point of Isaiah 61, God's people in Israel have sustained massive losses. Uh, Many of them have been kidnapped and enslaved in the Babylonian empire. This is not a joyous period of history for them. But just like we saw in chapter 7 and 9, God, through, through the book of Isaiah, he keeps reminding his people, no matter how bad it is, I'm not giving up on you. I'm still planning to send someone who's going to bring salvation and a new day and new hope. And this time, the prophecy ends in verse 7 by saying that this Messiah will bring everlasting joy. Jump forward with me to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All right, so this is one of those classic Advent passages, and what does the angel proclaim to these shepherds who are full of fear at the presence of the angel? What does he proclaim? Great joy, good news of great joy for all the people. It echoes the promise of Isaiah 61. It gets even clearer that this is, there's a connection here two chapters later in Luke 4. So Jesus, we're past his birth now. His public ministry is getting started, Luke 4, starting in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So so Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He's been led by God's Spirit to the wilderness, and he's been tempted for 40 days. And now he's returning, empowered by God's Spirit. He's beginning to preach and teach. He's going to every town in the entire region of Galilee, and it's going great. He's a rising star. He's being glorified by all. And, And now, like many of us will do over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday season, Jesus is going to travel home. He's going to travel back to his hometown, pick it up in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls into his hometown. He walks into the synagogue, and as was the custom, he stands up to read. They hand him the book of Isaiah on a scroll. He's got the whole book of Isaiah at his disposal. And what does he pick to read? Isaiah 61, this beautiful prophecy that the Messiah would come to proclaim good news to the poor, that he would liberate captives, that he would restore sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed, that he would be the one to bring everlasting joy. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, let me give you a modern translation for that. In the words of Michael Scott from the office, it's happening. It's happening. The angel in Luke 2 proclaims to the shepherds that Jesus' birth is great joy for all the people. 30 years later, Jesus rolls into his hometown synagogue and confirms the angel wasn't lying. I am bringing great joy, everlasting joy for all the people, for all kinds of people, for poor people, for imprisoned people, for oppressed people. I'm bringing joy for all of them. It's happening. And historically, since this announcement, millions and millions and millions of people have found Jesus' promise to be true. They have found everlasting, eternal joy in Jesus. But to really understand what this everlasting joy is, and we're in this Advent season, we need to see three things that Jesus' Advent teaches us about joy. Three things, three points for this morning. It's a classic Baptist sermon. Here we go. Number one. Advent points to us, points us to a constant source of joy. That's the first thing that we see. Advent points us to a constant source of joy. Okay, so so remember the audience for Isaiah 61. God's people are crushed. Many are kidnapped and enslaved. They are not in joyful, happy circumstances at all. But the promise is that someone will bring everlasting joy everlasting joy. That's interesting. The promise is someone's going to bring eternal joy, perpetual joy, unshakable joy that's not based on your circumstances. See, this is what God's people had missed, that they look around at the cultures around them, and they're thinking, if we were more powerful like them, if we had more riches like them, then we would have joy. If If our circumstances were more in line with our desires like them, then we would have joy. And Isaiah keeps going, no, no, no. God is your source of joy. God is your strength. God is your treasure. God is your king. We get awesome insight into this with the New Testament Greek word for joy. Like in Luke 2.10, when the angel proclaims, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Okay, the Greek word there for joy is hara. Kids, say that with me. Say hara. Nailed it. It's not chara or chera. Like it looks like. You got to kind of hawk a loogie at the front of it, like hara. Okay, that's, I've been sick, so that's easy for me to do right now. Um, and as you probably know, the root of hara is hario, which, you know, is also connected to the word charis, which means grace. I think you already knew that, but... I can't get into all of the etymological connections, but Luke, the biblical author, is doing something intentional here. He's connecting joy to grace. He's saying, you know that moment of the feeling when you receive a gift that you didn't earn, you don't necessarily deserve, that what many of you will experience in just a few weeks on Christmas morning, you'll open gifts and your face will light up with joy. He goes, yeah, that's, that's the connection you should be making, that joy comes from grace. And for Christians, this means we have a constant source of joy regardless of circumstances. 
No matter what's going on in your day, you can be aware of God's grace to you at every moment, the undeserved gift of the advent, the undeserved gift of Christmas, that God sent his son freely when you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. He sent his son to love you, to pay for your sins, to forgive you, to welcome you into his family, to bring you into fullness of life. That offer is a constant source of joy that God is giving to you. The gospel, the good news of advent is a constant source of joy, everlasting joy, perpetual joy. No matter how your job is going, no matter how your marriage is going, no matter how your kids are doing, when the retirement account is up, joy was already up. When the retirement account is down, still have joy. So, so as a parent, it's, um, it's kind of easy for me to see why circumstances are a really bad source of joy when I look at my kids' lives. Here's, here's what I mean. My kids are learning this, and, and if I'm totally honest, I'm still learning this too. I have the concept down. Walking in it every day is all, isn't always as easy. Um, here's what I mean. If, if I put a piece of Halloween candy in my kids' lunch, and they get a good grade on a test, and their friends are nice to them that day, then when I see my kids after school and I ask them, how'd your day go? They'll say, Dad, today was awesome. I made an A. My friends were nice to me. I had fun with them. You gave me candy. Life is awesome. My joy is high. The problem is on lots of days, there's no candy in their lunchbox. And on lots of days, the grade is not what they hoped it would be. And on lots of days, there's conflict or drama in the friend group. It used to be someone was mean to them. Now it's drama, right? We're moving into middle school, right? That's the shift. And the report back to me was, it was the worst day. I hate school, and -and so-and-so was, was, I don't even know, we're not even talking, and there was no candy in my lunchbox. And the problem is, those things are, are really unsteady. They're not reliable. And if they're the source of my kid's joy, then my kid's joy is gonna be up and down. Some days don't have candy, and some days friends sin against you because they're sinners just like, you. And, and as adults, we can be just as guilty of relying on unsteady things as our source of joy. Hopefully not candy, but still unsteady things. Advent points us to a better, deeper, more constant source of joy, everlasting joy. And it gets even better. Number two, Advent points us to the relational nature of joy. Advent points us to the relational nature of joy. So there's a scientist named Dr. Alan Shore. He's a medical doctor, he's a psychologist and a researcher in the field of neuropsychology. He's on the clinical faculty of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral, Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA School of Medicine. His title is so long, I can't even pronounce it correctly. In other words, he's very smart. And one of the things he's been researching specifically uh, are the joy centers of our brain. In his research, he's looking at the joy centers of the brain and looking at what causes those parts of our brain to light up. And he's found one thing that trumps all the rest when it comes to what causes the joy centers of our brains to fire the most. What would you guess that thing is? In your brain, in your brain, to yourself. You think it's uh, getting an amazing gift? You think it's getting really good news? When, when you're just having fun or experiencing pleasure? Okay, all of those show up in the studies. But the thing that causes our brains to show 
the, the light up the most to show that, that we're experiencing the most joy is actually the moment when people see someone they love and their face lights up. That's the thing that actually he's found in his research, that, that face-to-face warmth and glow, nothing makes the joy centers in the human brain light up more. Uh, for those of you with healthy, warm, loving families, this shouldn't come as a great surprise. It's one of the great gifts of the holidays. Every time you have a family reunion, there's so much face lighting up with joy. Oh, it's my favorite uncle. Oh, my grandma. Oh, my nephew, my niece, my cousins. There's so much joy in that face-to-face reconnecting. People who know your stories, good and bad, people who love you and have your back no matter what. Um, a friend of mine who has a newborn baby, he says that most of the time, uh, he doesn't know why, I think it's him, but he doesn't know why, uh, her face is just kind of grumpy. It's Jake Blair, that's my friend, all right? I don't need to be anonymous with this. And he says he doesn't know why, but it's just like compared to his other kids, this one's just not the most naturally smiley baby until she makes eye contact with her parents And her face lights up, and she starts to smile and coo. You know that little baby coo thing? It's just made out of magic. There's no scientific explanation for that coo. He says it's an amazing experience as a father. So there's this great little book out there called The Other Half of Church. If you'd like to read, I recommend you grab a copy. Read it over Christmas break. It picks up on this, and it points out that there's places we actually see this concept in the Bible. I'll give you one example. It's probably my favorite. Psalm 1611 in your Bible probably reads something like this. In your presence is fullness of joy. It's talking about God. It says, God, in your presence is fullness of joy. What the book points out is that that translation really kind of misses the original language. But translators have a really hard time translating the original language because literally in the original language, this verse should read, in the presence of your face is fullness of joy. In the presence of God's face, that when you know, like the blessing in number six, may God's face shine upon you. When you know God's face, his love, his grace is shining on you, nothing brightens up the joy centers of your soul more than that. Because joy at its deepest root is relational. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on who you're going through life with. And I'm not completely certain about this one, but I think there's a connection to our Isaiah 61 prophecy. See, in Psalm 1611 and then in Isaiah 61.7, we see the most commonly used Hebrew word for joy. It's the Hebrew word samach. Kids, can you say samach? All right, kara, it was at the front, samach, it's at the end. But you still got to hock that lugi, okay? That's part of how you pronounce it correctly. Just... um. Samach shows up 152 times in the Old Testament. It it means happiness in the fullest sense of the word, but in its most literal sense, it means to brighten. It means to brighten, because that's part of what joy is. It's face-to-face brightening. It's like in the Christmas season when when the light, the sun, we we messed up with the the daylight savings, and the sun goes down at 3 p.m., but we put up Christmas lights to fight back the darkness. And to try to bring the brightness of some joy. And the Christmas lights are great, but there's nothing that makes your face shine brighter than relational love, face-to-face warmth and glow. That's the joy of Advent. Emmanuel has come, God with us. Jesus has secured for us that if you're a Christian, 
If your hope is in Jesus, God's face is shining on you at all points in time. It bums me out so much, the number of Christians I meet who just kind of regularly feel like God's disappointed with them. And I'm going to tell you a secret that we're not supposed to talk about. The reason for that is because our performance is often quite disappointing. But God, in his grace, has chosen to relate with us on something way better than our performance. He relates with us based on Jesus' performance, based on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, based on Jesus conquering the grave, which means when God the Father looks at you, if you are in Christ, his face lights up towards you the same way his face lights up when he looks on his only beloved son, Jesus. That's the relational joy of Advent. That's what's being offered to you every day, regardless of your circumstances, which leads us straight into our third Advent reflection on joy for this morning. Number three, Advent invites us into an unshakable resilience of joy an unshakable resilience of joy. I've been hinting at this all the way through, but the promise given to God's people in Isaiah 61, remember, it comes to a people whose circumstances are beyond broken. Similarly, I don't think it's an accident that when Jesus is born into a family, he's not born into joyous, regal, rich, powerful circumstances. In fact, his birth brings scandal onto his parents and this new formed family. He's born into poverty where there's no room in the inn for him. It gets so bad a little bit later that his parents have to flee a political maniac named King Herod and run to Egypt. Their circumstances are busted. But he is the God of all joy, the Messiah bringing everlasting joy into these broken circumstances. And you, you got to catch this, because in none of those, in either of those examples, does God promise to fix these people's circumstances in their life. He doesn't do that. It's the same thing for us. God never promises to fix our circumstances instantly. He doesn't promise us lives of ease or wealth. He doesn't promise us joyful circumstances on our timeline, though we would love that. What he promises us is the joy of his presence the joy of his grace, which is incredibly good news for me as one of your pastors, because I have no idea what your circumstances are as we're heading into this Advent season. Now, I don't know if this is one of the most joyful Advent seasons you can remember, or it it might literally be the worst one. I don't know if the proverbial Christmas tree of your life is overflowing with gifts, or if the tree feels barren. Barely even have any decorations on it. Now, I, I don't know if, if your season is marked by God's favor and blessing and the obvious presence of that. I don't know if you're questioning what on earth God is doing, whether he's even with you or hearing your painful cries at night. Maybe you're experiencing intense pain, broken relationships, financial stress, marital breakdown, parenting grief with a sick or a rebellious child. Maybe you're experiencing the grief of a loved one. And I remember that first Christmas without them. It's a unique kind of pain. Maybe it's not that bad, but it's just kind of meh. 
it's not that good, it's not that bad, you just kind of feel like you're going through the motions and every advertisement and Hallmark movie saying you're supposed to be really happy and find the love of your life right now. Here's what I know. Whatever your life is marked by, God is inviting you into a deeper joy than the circumstances you're going through. He's inviting you into a deeper joy of knowing him and his grace every day. I think this is a really helpful quote to kind of put this idea into words. It's a, it's a writer named Ben Farrow who talks about how so many of the things in life that we take joy in can or ultimately will be taken away from us if you live long enough. Listen how he says this. He says, your joy is only as strong as your deepest layer. Your joy is only as strong as your deepest layer. What he means is if your joy is dependent on you having a job that feels really fulfilling and is bringing in the big bucks, that's a pretty precarious, shaky place to be because you may or may not always have that job. And even if you do get the job that you always wanted, you could lose that job. So your joy is shaky. If your joy is dependent on your marital reality matching your marital expectations, your your joy is precarious, it's shaky. You're going to put a lot of pressure on both your spouse and yourself or any single person around you to marry you quickly. If your joy is dependent on everyone in your family behaving correctly over the holidays, you're going to be pretty stressed and tension is going to be really high. If your joy is attached to your kids' lives turning out a certain way, then you're probably going to end up either really controlling or really anxious or some combination of both. And my concern is that you may end up lacking the resilient joy that's required to go on loving your kids faithfully no matter what decisions they make and what outcomes come their way. And some of you may be thinking, if I could just get my friends to change in this way, if I could just get my spouse to change in this way, if I could just get my kids to change in this way, if I could just fix my current circumstantial situation, then I would have joy. And the the reality is we do not have ultimate power to make so many of those things happen. And you don't want your joy tied to things that are unknown and wildly outside of your control. Not if you want a resilient joy. You're going to be on a roller coaster your whole life. Ferris quote goes on to say, he finishes it, your joy is only as strong as your deeper, deepest layer. To face a serious sadness in a deeply important layer of life, we have to cultivate a foundation of even deeper joy. We have to cultivate a sense of everlasting joy that Isaiah 61 promises. I want to leave you with one last quote from author and pastor Tim Keller. He says, joy is a buoyancy, a spiritual buoyancy that comes when you're rejoicing in God. It doesn't mean we're impervious to suffering. It means we're unsinkable. And this is what Jesus offers to us in the incarnation. This is what Advent is about. No matter where your life is, no matter what your circumstances are, whether exquisitely enjoyable, excruciatingly painful, painful, or some kind of in the middle, gray, blah, meh, malaise, you can have unsinkable joy because Christ has come 
for you. No matter what you're going through, you can know Advent is the reminder that God is fighting for your joy, that God sent his son for your joy, that son of God bled for your joy, that he conquered the grave for your joy. That can be your deepest layer, deeper than everything else. And it can give you a buoyancy that won't make you impervious to suffering, but it will make you unsinkable. This is part of the gift of Advent, a joy that can endure. It can't be taken away from you. It's a joy that can persevere. Let's pray.